Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. All right, enough of that. It's Thursday. So, for those of you who don't know what Mensa means, it's the name of an organization for giftedly intelligent people. So, I chose it appropriately um, as the name for this group, and so joining me um, is... A third of the Mensa Trio from McAllen, Texas, and that is Tim Lynch. Tim, good morning. How are you? I'm I'm up in the morning with the rising sun, Mac, and happy to be here. Thank you. Well, yep, the alternative is not appealing, so uh, it's good to have you. And mm-hmm. freshly back from his high school reunion in uh, the Empire State is uh, William Costantini. Well, how are good you? Morning. Good. Hey, you know, the morning, the, the alternative to be up with the rising sun is to be up at like 8, 830, like retired people are. So the the, the alternative is actually quite appealing. <laughs> Truth be told, though, you're up early this morning, Will. Uh, a little bit. Okay. The fact that I drove for 17 hours and 22 minutes yesterday to get cross country is more of an impact than 0730 Reveille. So. But truth be told, you're a sleeper, and you take into a nocturnal life, kind of like a ferret. Um, so, as you filch retirees of their money, so this is early for you. Tim, though, Tim, are you an early riser? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I'm always up before dawn. I I've, uh, I I always will be. That's that's uh, I just can't sleep much past five thirty. So you can't. I think that's. I say that comes from living in Afghanistan, but to be honest, I was doing it before that. So you couldn't. You don't think you could adapt to Will's ferret-like lifestyle? No, 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 no. There's books. There are books written about guys like Will, and there's there's that that Hieronymus Bosch series. That was the the FBI agent involved was a was a female, but we don't care about that today. Uh, gender roles, they're not relevant. And that, uh, and that's the same her problem too. When she got in, hooked on the gambling thing, she was good at it. She got hooked. Next thing you know, she's uh, got the lifestyle issues. Uh, wow. But I think Will's stronger than that. Well, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll certainly find out. Um, yeah. I just made up that shit about ferrets being nocturnal. I don't know if that's true or not. So if it's not true, don't fucking send me an email, okay? Um, <laughs> that's under the guise of admit nothing, deny everything, and make counter accusations. Never be afraid to. To throw out a piece of, of, of nuanced, specific information that's a complete lie, assuming that those you're talking to won't know the difference and then use it to substantiate a point. Anyway. They, that they don't have Google. Exactly. <laughs> or are too lazy to do it. Um, speaking of, of lazy people, Jeff Kenny's not one of those, uh, but he joins us uh, this morning. Jeffrey, how are you? Good, Mac. Thanks for asking. That's it. That's all you got. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, 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 uh, I'm here in Las Vegas. Um, 
we had like a family issue going. So Lori had to go back to Philadelphia. And uh, so we're getting ready to move back to uh, drive back down to uh, San Clemente today. I'm going to be there for next week and a half working two weeks uh, at Camp Pendleton. And uh, that's my life. So, All right. Let's talk about uh, – we're going to talk about uh, Representative Luria's article. Uh, we've been kind of uh, alluding to that um, for last month. I think Will's the one that found it. Yay, Will? Uh Maybe, yeah. I I think I sent it out. It's been out for a while. And I, I don't know how I got. I don't know how it came to us, to me, because I normally I'm never on the site that it was from. Right. right so right, right, right. Wall Street Journal is what published it. Is the where it started. They did. Yeah, yeah. I was on a Simsec, C I M S E C, and I, maybe I saw a link to it or something like that. But anyhow. All right, she is a, um, if you look up Elaine Luria, she's Naval Academy grad, pretty interesting career in the United States Navy and in that she served at sea and uh, and her entire career. Uh, nuclear, uh, her degree was in nuclear engineering or in engineering, then she becomes a nuke engineer and goes to sea and stays at sea. And so uh, her article um, dated July 12, 2021, is uh, under the heading of strategy, is entitled A New U.S. Maritime Strategy. So uh, general thoughts. So let's uh, we'll start with Tim. Tim, general thoughts about Representative Luria's uh, article. Um, the first thing was I was surprised that our current ship uh, uh, building goals were generated from combining three separate scenarios and just saying, yeah, that's what we need, as opposed to having a naval strategy with which you can put your operational uh, uh, fleet and shipbuilding against and on which you can plan. And I I was particularly interested to note that the Navy under their optimization plan is talking five to one ship ship race generation ratio, which they can't do. And, um, and, 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 and it's appalling, quite frankly, where we are. But I just want to say two more things, because I know that Will and Jeff are going to have a much better insights than that. And the first is she, she cites and takes uh, a lot of quotes out of uh, a couple studies. One was from the Rand group and the other one, is from some kind of a of a of a think tech that's obviously pretty uh, um, they're obviously pretty sharp, and we learned I think back in our Quantico days the value of searching out some of these Rand reports because they're the real deal, and so I like how she uses that. I've been on her website. I'm looking at her participation with the January 6th committee. Seems to be a non-committal statement about what she's do, doing involved with that. But she's a very liberal Democrat, and I'm so happy she is on this rip because she knows what she's talking about. Her her uh, her head is in exactly the right place, and she is not somebody who would normally be on our side of the aisle. And all I can say is I hope there's more Democrats like her because this woman is sharp. And I'll leave the uh, the detailed analysis to Will and Jeff, who are better equipped to, to uh, talk about it. All right. Well, a general thought about this article. Um, yeah, I like it because she 
um, sort of attacks the current, well, she explains the current way we've developed a fleet, and she's got uh, not an original idea. She takes from the CSBA, Center for Strategic and Bu Budgetary Assessments. She takes their sort of logic on how to develop a fleet um, and, and provides some criticism for it. Uh, and she explains why the current logic is flawed uh, and she gives a solution or a potential solution. So that's that's really the part of it I liked. And then there's a lot of other detail in there that's worth discussing. All right. Uh, Jeffrey, your thoughts. Yeah, what I like about it is she references Goldwater Nichols pretty heavily, the act in the mid-'80s that basically reorganized the whole military command structure. And um, specifically, she talks about how what happened in all the services. You had uh, commanders rushing through um, the uh, their, the things that would make them MOS proficient in order to get their ticket punched for these other joint-type things they needed to do to get promoted. And I think it affected – now, they say – they point to the success of Operation Just Cause and then, of course, the great success of Operation Desert Storm. But uh, she starts to point out that, uh, you know, uh, I think that uh, at higher levels, our military leadership has demonstrated a lack of uh, proficiency. And that's basically uncovered during, desert, during uh, the Iraq War and the, and the Afghanistan War. A lack of even caring about it. We're going to go do our time. We're going to do our – if you're a Marine battalion you know, unit, you're going to be there for seven months. If you're going to be anything large than that for a year, and then we're going to move on to more important things. And I think she does a pretty good job of laying that out. That's I'm, the thing that jumped out and hit me because I, I agree with that. I'm going to sound uh, rather Nightingale-esque, um, but um, I, thought, I thought it's interesting. Again, her background is at sea. I mean, and it's when you read about her career, it's a it's certainly atypical, right? You do not see officers of that caliber who I mean, I think she would let she would tell you that she is a naval officer. She's a surface naval surface warfare officer and has taken great pride in devoting her career, entire career, entire career in the Navy to being at sea. And from that perch, right? You can see where her criticism of her peers, really, in that as they advance and they go all the, do all these joint things, they're not, they are no longer naval officers with that perspective on how to do this. So I thought, it, I thought from that perspective, I thought it was very interesting, her criticism of, as Jeff just talked about, Goldwater Nichols. And, and then, as Tim said, um, the other point is how this strategy even gets hatched is is as she goes through and explains that um it's a bit stunning it's a bit stunning hey. and and so I, I i again i i in in seeing her questioning during the budget is how she, i first saw her name and so you're watching you know a woman ask these nuanced hard questions right and she's asking questions that she's certain of the answer but in the in the phraseology of the question, she's painting a flag officer or a general officer into a corner, and she knows what they're going to say, right? I, and I'm like, so, and I never, I, I didn't know who she was. I'm like, who is that? 
Who asked that question? Who is she? And then you pull the string on that and you find this uh, very, very impressive career at the you know Naval Academy, starting at the Naval Academy, and then throughout the surface warfare Navy, and you think, oh, that's who that is. So, well, yeah, hey, just uh, to take the pedestal down just a quarter of a step. Um, you know, we say someone was at sea for 20 years. She spent three years getting through nuclear power school, which I think, you know, that's what it takes, two to three years. Then she was on Blue Ridge. All right. Blue Ridge is a ship. Yeah, but it does, it never goes to sea. And then she spent three years at ACU-2, Assault Craft Unit 2, as a CO. So they're the people that are running LCACs. Um Interesting that after she graduated from nuclear power school, they sent her to Blue. It just seems bizarre. Um, but it might be simply uh, women at that time were not uh, in the submarine force, so they're restricted to the surface Navy. But I, I don't know why you'd go to Blue Ridge after coming out of nuclear power school. Yeah, the last the last time the Blue Ridge was at sea uh, in a well-known position was it was the flagship for the frequent win yeah it's 1975 so but i i will say to graduate with a double major from the naval academy uh even though obviously standards had declined after 1985 um is impressive that means that she went there with a phenomenal high school education and and uh, was able to basically take exams and get get out of doing a bunch of uh, classes, which only really smart people did. So, what um, <laughs> what happened in 1985 for those of us that are well, un- unfamiliar with Naval Academy history? That's when well, the, the best class graduated, <laughs> and things sort of ground down after that. Do you do you know people in that class or? How do you yeah, know, how do you know, know that? like hundreds and hundreds of them, as a matter of fact. Uh, just, hey, just so everybody knows why 1985 is significant. Uh, it's interesting, yeah, that her career path would have, at this point, prevented her from becoming a flag officer. Although That's true. At the 20-year 20, 20 mark, very few people actually had their joint credit. Um and, and that, to me, takes nothing away from her criticism of that. I think it's absolutely valid what she says. Um, but it is interesting. She's She is in a different Navy than a whole lot of people. And the fact that she was in operational forces the whole time. That's a very different Navy than a lot of other people. I, I, I didn't. How is such a thing even possible that you would somehow or other avoid you know, doing any type of what we would call B-billet assignments. I I mean, how is that even possible, Will? Yeah, where where are you? See, I just, I looked on Wikipedia, which doesn't have her entire career path. Yeah, no, I just took it at at face value in terms of the different things I've seen written about her, I think on her website as well, saying her entire career was spent in the surface fleet. I, I don't know of any people who wanted to stay that long in the surface fleet, quite frankly. Yeah, no, that's why That's why it's well, such a... Well, listen, if you spend three years on Blue Ridge, then you want, and you're actually interested in the Navy, then you, you want to go to sea after that. Right. Sure. Because you just spent three years on a command ship. Right. Mm. right. I'm just looking down 
so the quote, her whole thing in Israel is, or her whole thing being at sea is an article from the Times of Israel, which is likely based on an interview they did with her. So she's the source, I think, for that. Got it. All right, let's talk about let's talk about the substance of her article. Um, Tim, um, is there? What do you think about her contention of where the mar- this maritime strategy, either the way it's de- you want to talk about the way it's developed uh, first? Uh, she says it ought to be developed not by the joint staff but by naval officers, right? Um, yeah, and, you want, let's talk about that first. So let's yeah, talk about the yeah, development the, the, of a naval strategy. The problem is, is that is that uh, the Navy doesn't have an objective standard on which we can judge and be confident we've got the best uh, the, the best forces that align with U.S. strategies and goals. There's nothing about the current force structure which aligns with any strategy or goals because we don't have any strategy and our policy goals remain opaque at the moment. But um, so. So that is where to start. Her recommendation was to adapt basically um, the uh, the force structure rep- uh, recommended on this uh, um, this this CSBA uh, study, and that's and that's it. At least that's an organization on which you can say we've got the capability to do X. One would be the uh, um, the the uh, uh, excuse me, the deterrent capability, the other being the strike force. And that and that's basically what their composition is, a robust deterrent capability with a legitimate strike force. But under their scenarios, by the way, uh, you're looking, because I've got that study pulled up, you're looking at amphibs, you're looking at 29 total, and that's it for the Marine Corps. So I'm not so happy with that particular force structure, but at least that's a composition or a fleet that has a purpose that you can uh, you can see where you are is relative to your goals, which is something we do not have right now. You know, the other thing that's interesting about that is is to even become more basic than um, the development of the strategy. She talked about simply getting a definition of what does the term win look like relative to this, right? And oh, she, that's right. She yep, ta- and, exactly and then she right. takes the chairman to task by saying that you know, well, you know, it it, it all things were only one on the ground. Right, you can't well, not you cannot win them. I think again, I'm 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 paraphrasing from memory, but uh, you can't win in the air exclusively, and you can't win in the sea, you know, exclusively. And then she says, so what does that mean relative to China? Does it mean that we have to invade the mainland? And and her point being that this this win word, and then I, she quotes somebody as saying, well, winning is never fighting, so winning is deterrence. You know, that's a right. win. And so she says, "Look, that so we don't have, we don't have an end state to which to align strategy, you know, to 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 budget and to and to do force design on." So I, I thought that was, I, I thought that was interesting. Well, uh, and, and and that and that deterrence piece is robust because that's the point. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Will. I'm sorry. Well, thoughts on development of a strategy? Yeah, you know, so she gets into how, how do we get the size fleet that we have now? So basically, the force design is strategy driven. That's, uh, you know, input from the combatant commanders, et cetera, and they pull together what their requirements are. Uh, but the force that's produced is budget driven. So it really has nothing to do with the strategy. 
if if the strategy is a compilation of the war plans, then the budget cuts that off at whatever the two thirds mark. So you basically never have enough. Uh, and then she talks a little bit about de- deterrent. You know, an offensive deterrent requires presence. She gets into this that that if so, we believe in the offensive to be to deter. Then when offense has advantage in what they call a security dilemma, a security when offense has the advantage, a security dilemma becomes more acute. The arms race becomes more intense, and miscalculation becomes high. So your deterrent truly has to be credible. And if your deterrent is your presence, what happens when you don't have presence, i.e. the current day? When we're taking our presence is carrier battle groups, and we take carrier battle groups and take them out of areas because we believe there's a higher requirement somewhere else. And the fact that we don't have enough carrier battle groups to fulfill that strategy. So we're really setting ourselves up for a tremendous failure uh, with this theory. Um, so, and, uh, and so, so if I could summarize, this theory of deterrence is facili- is made real by presence. If right, if that is that is our strategy of deterrence when it comes to naval forces. Got it. So is deterrence. Right. So as you bring the number of carrier battle groups down, as you say there's higher priorities for these carrier battle groups and you begin to have gaps in your deterrence, you are inv- you are you are cre- you've created the opportunity for an adversary to make certain assumptions about your willingness to engage. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. If you have a strategy that requires something, then you don't fulfill it. You are actually not um, preventing war, but you might be bringing it closer to you by yeah, showing right. that tremendous weakness. I, that's I think a weakness. that's a theme right. in there. Okay. The weakness in theory of deterrence is that's your goal is to deter. And so everything you do, if you if you advertise that deterrence is your is your goal, means that your la- the last thing you want to do is actually act, and that's known. And so every that's why you'll find naval officers today. I did a lot of critiques of uh, of uh, the East Coast Marine Exterior units and their you know their partnered amphibious ready groups, along with the pointy ships that they attached to them and stuff like that. And they would say. When the enemy called the, the Navy's bluff at sea, they call that the enemy's the adversaries acting unprofessionally because they're not they're they're disappointed that the uh, adversary is not is not uh, joining in with this self deception of if I look tough you'll believe I am tough. But the thing about deterrence isn't that you may be, have the capabilities. Do you have the will to actually do it? And we don't have the will. And another thing, I hate to keep going back. Well, actually, I do like to keep going back to her thing about Goldwater Nichols. It emasculated our service at the top. Basically made it so it goes president, secretary of defense, and then whoever the combatant commander is. Secretary of defense, he could be like the guy who used to be in charge of Walmart. Or he could be a guy who's like, uh, you know, a, a senator or something. 
what the heck does he know? What's his experience level? His experience level is, is, you know, is making deals and things like that. We don't have – we put our service chiefs then become basically you – know, they're like the dogs in a dog and pony show. They don't have any power. They're in an advisory role totally. So I, you know, that's what's compelling about her article to me. And the, and the, the theory of uh, deterrence, for sure, for it to be credible, has to be based on the fact that not only do you have the capability, but you're willing to use it. And that's what we don't even do. Where we say, oh, well, the last thing we want to do is go to war. Well, that I'll tell you, when you're talking to the Chinese and you're talking to the Russians, and particularly when you're talking to uh, you know Muslim groups, that's just what they want to hear. Again, you know, I think in that part of the world that we you know spent some time in, restraint is weakness. Yep, it, it, it's synonymous. And so, to me, the whole issue of Iranian speedboats and American warships, right? You have the not only right, but we talked about this on this show before. You have the inherent obligation to defend your crew. And shooting back after somebody laces your bridge with twelve point seven, you know, machine guns from a little speedboat is not the right thing to do. And yeah. and, 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 and so to me, that the, the lack of a willingness to do that on a regular basis. And trust me, when you do it, you've sent the clear message. You're not going to yeah. have to do this very often because you. You you made it clear. I'll shoot to defend this ship. Will you were yeah, going to say she, something? She's not getting into tactical. Right, right, right. No, I'm just saying that's that's how it man. Yeah. That's the outward manifestation of this kind of non-deterrent deterrent. Like because I show up, and as Jeff just articulated, right? You're supposed to play by the Marcus Queensberry rules, which means she, and she's I, saying we can't even show up, right? Because our force structure is completely flawed because right. how we developed the strategy is flawed. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She she pretty much illuminated the uh, the emperor not wearing any clothes there. Right. All right. Let's talk about let's talk about her recommendation for the maritime strategy. Tim, you got that in front of you. Give us a overall. Um, give us a broad brush of deterrent forces. Right. And right. uh, what does she give the the uh, and because I mean really because the n- maneuver forces the number she ultimately comes up with is a stunningly small number relative it is. to, it is. to naval I'm, warships. Yeah, it, it is, and it's and she's also, she's actually kind of at odds uh, with the CBSBA study that that she's recommending in that she's recommending regular destroyers, not those guided excuse me regular frigates frigates, not the guided missile kind. But it was, and I'm looking at this thing. She's talking about a five percent increase in the current Navy budget can get can get you basically the fleet that is outlined in the study we've been we've been uh, referencing from the CSBA, which is uh, a total fleet of 382 vessels, not counting those that cannot deploy for themselves, like LCACs, uh, landing craft, etc. So that's uh, that's a pretty ambitious. It's a doable thing. It, she lays out exactly how you could reach those numbers. Um, the only thing that's at where she's at odds with the study she's referencing is the study she's referencing uh, calls for a, a lot more of the third or, or whatever the current generation, the FFF, the FFG and DDG class, and those are the guided missile, the new frigates. I don't and and destroyers. I don't know how many we have currently, but uh, that's basically. 
her her proposal is a solid proposal that would give you the deterrence capability in the India paycom area where we say we need it the most. And uh, and it's doable with a 10 percent increase in budget. Five percent. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. You did, I five percent. Yeah, I read that. And, I'm, and I say 10. What an idiot. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. Uh, a typo. Um, well, yeah. thoughts on, uh, you know, in, in the article, she talks about the next steps. Yeah. Uh, she... I, I, I think two things in there, you know, this, this CSBA study proposes a deterrence force that's forward deployed with no carrier battle groups, although there would be carrier battle groups deployed. Um, and she cites reasons to do it, training, experimentation, yada, yada, yada. And then a maneuver force which is all the carrier battle groups. So the idea is your deterrence force is out there and that if it fails, then you've got this big punch coming from behind. And I would offer some criticisms and I didn't go line by line through that CSBA assessment. Number one thing she says is a forward deployed force basically requires two ships to make one forward deployed. And that's uh, <coughs> that's a pretty high standard, right? Um I think, you know, in other places we say it takes three to one, four to one or five to one. And so she makes the assumption that it only takes two to one to maintain those ships forward deployed. Uh, You know, I don't know. The second one is if I don't know how many carrier battle groups we got now, something like 11, 12, 13. If two of them are forward deployed, so let's say less than 20 percent, I'm not sure that the rest of the group can actually maintain their training, right? You have to have a certain amount of deployed time. And maybe the idea is, well, they're not deployed, but they're still they're still doing training at sea, although not forward deployed. So those are minor things. And the last criticism I would I would render is unfortunately she she criticizes the way we do strategy, you know, the the joint staff and the combatant commanders and then Congress does this, but then she does a congressperson political thing and says, oh, it would only take 5% and we could have the perfect thing. Well, if it only takes 5%, then it's bullshit that we're even talking about it, right? Fundamentals don't take 5% adjustments. Fundamentals take 50% adjustments to fix. Because by definition... If you've got a serious problem and it only takes 5% to fix it, you don't actually have a fundamental serious problem. You have a marginal problem. So um, I, I think the idea of thinking about things differently, deterrent force, maneuver force, et cetera, is highly credible because we just don't do anything like that now. But then the idea that we can solve all our problems with a 5% increase to the Navy budget and $10 million, that's unfortunately a very political sales pitch which is crap. Um, so I think I, she lost a lot of credibility with me when that bumper sticker came out. Maybe she's playing poker and she, and she, she, they, they, you buy the 5% and then she starts piling it on top of you. Once you've bought the stinking package, you could, what do you think of that? Stra- chess, bro. What do you think of that uh, strategy there? Minnesota fats? <laughs> yeah, he was actually a pool shark. Uh, Whatever. It's all the same to me. <laughs> well, then uh, again, I if if she wants to come across as the serious, thoughtful strategy person, then don't tell me we've got this huge problem, but I can solve it with 
because what is wait a minute so what so if she so if there is this reshuffling along her line along her lines of the strategic vision right and then she can show you the math behind how this works who gives a shit what the x is for well what the math show me the math she says it only takes two to make one it takes more than two to make one in every navy in the world that that is funny math and the csba again i didn't go line by line through this thing but timmy find the two to one it's will's talking find the two to one math all right i'll supervise i'll I'll supervise will you find the two to one math and we'll crawl down i've listened wait a second i've listened i've listened to her on on uh, on the youtube grilling the admirals about exactly this thing, the uh, the maintenance cycles, what they paid for, what they're getting and whatnot. And when she's grilling the admirals, she is not talking two to one. She's talking because she knows exactly what she's talking about. She's talking about 36 month long maintenance cycles that these things need every two or three years or something like that. So that that's I'm not so sure she isn't. I'm saying she's throwing that out there so people will bite knowing she's going to have to dump more money in there because that's not adequate. But that would be just me guessing and being amusing. And that's exactly what I think she's doing, and I think it takes away from the credibility. Yeah, but to me, okay, look, I don't want to, I know I probably tend to be, tend to do this, but I don't want to worship too much at the altar of Representative Luria, okay? But to me, that would be a contradiction of everything I see that she does in terms of public hearings, public statements, and things like that, and then she does the bait and switch. Oh, you know, this, 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 and this, you know, and then all of a sudden at the end, when it comes time for the conclusion, then we go ahead and we play the same fucking game. That doesn't seem to be, that's why I'm curious about the footnotes. Jeffrey, thoughts on the deterrent force, the maneuver force, and and, and, and her line of reasoning to that? Well, yeah, the deterrent force thing is, uh, you know, I was thinking, reading it, it reminded me, the book that we love, love to talk about, uh, Last stand of the tin can sailors. That was the most effective deterrent, you know, re- example of deterrence that uh, any of these things we've other, we've been reading ever was. I mean, uh, those guys attacked the Japanese hugely outnumbered in, in such a way that they thought that uh, you know they're in a desperate attempt to to uh, protect the fleet, the amphibious fleet. But it made the Japanese think, holy shit, the only way they would do that is if they had something huge behind them. And so I, I, I kind of looked at this thing a whole different thing. I never really had too much respect for Representative Luria uh, because she's a representative. She's a Democratic representative in Congress. But she did make some interesting points about you know, the sea service. And so I'm not trying to insult her, but on the other hand, I'm not really, you know, I'm not, this wasn't really my critique of her article as much as it was stuff that she said in there that was compelling to me. And, uh, and it goes, it kind of like dovetails with a lot of other things we've been talking about with the Navy as far as, you know, adherence to standards and, uh, you know, uh, discipline in regards to, uh, to drilling and stuff like that seem to connect. And she's talking about in order for you to be effective at any strategy, you really got to mean it. You know, and uh, um, so as far as buying this, you know, it takes I, I, th- I think that it takes a shitload of stuff to keep that stuff forward. But uh, it's the uh, to me, the uh, the attitude and the fact that we're, you know, they, they basically in the 80s 
I think Goldwater Nichols is seriously flawed. You know, so that's pretty much what I took from uh, from the article. All right, let me let me re- let me let me read something, and then Timmy, and then Timmy, you hop in here. Where is she a representative from? I know I should Re- know this already. Uh, Norfolk. 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 Where? Virginia. Where is she? Where? Virginia, the North okay. no- Norfolk She's... area. So yeah, she is like an admiral. She's a representative from Norfolk, right? I here, here's what she says uh, right before she she gets to the, the section that she labels conclusion. I postulate that this deterrence effect can be gained for as little as five percent increase in the current Navy budget, or $10 billion per year. Much as John Lehman, former Secretary of the Navy, wrote in discussing the development of the 1984 maritime strategy, 90% of the deterrence power of this buildup could be achieved in the first year. This was done by publicly declaring and explaining the strategy, especially its naval component, and taking actions that left no doubt among friend and foe that it would be achieved. Okay, so that's her prose. Timmy, you want to read what you just put up on the screen? Yeah, no, The uh, I was looking for the two-to-one, and uh, what I found out of her article, in this construct, the deterrence force consists primarily of forward-deployed naval forces with a fourth force-generation model that produces a full year of deployed ship present for every two ships, which is 2.5 times what we achieve today through purely rotational forces. And again, she's referencing that that study coming out of out of the think tank. But uh, I found it interesting. Goldwater Nichols, what was that in response to, by the way? Right? Wasn't it all the confusion around like Beirut and Grenada? Yeah. yeah. Desert yeah. one. Desert one. Desert one. About, and specifically, what about the Grenada response stood out that they was uh, getting everybody excited? Well, there's uh, a lot of green on green or blue on blue. Uh, for one thing, between the special operations forces and, you know, Army uh, first responders. Like you had uh, the airborne guys getting fired up by the Rangers and vice versa and everything. The one unified force was uh, BLT-28, which was landed by the Navy, amphibious, na- you know. Well, well it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't unified in terms of integration, though. It was just it, self-contained, and they right? And they weren't, even, they weren't tied together that very well. It was right. the performance of the Marine Corps which is the only force that performed admirably, performing so much better than everybody else. Even SEAL Team 6, those guys drowned trying to dive in after their rib boat in ocean conditions they'd never encountered before. I mean, yeah. it takes a lot to drown a SEAL. So that's the one thing about Goldwater's Nichols. I'm, I, I'm not apologizing for what, what created that. I think it's interesting. But was uh, our ability of the Navy Marine Corps team to, to do what the hell we said we we're going to do which was more than anybody else could do because nobody else did what they said they're going to do, which is why, yeah, it wasn't why the coordination line between the Marines and the Army shrunk to just the airport in three days. And the Army was going crazy about why is the Marines running all over this island? Where the hell is everybody else? Remember all that? Right. But again, her criticism, her criticism, though, is of the Goldwater Nichols Act is that you take right the best and brightest minds out of the Navy, make them purple, and they never come back to thinking about maritime strategy because there's a quote in here that I highlighted. Naval strategy should not be developed by the joint, um, by no longer, by the joint staff, right? Naval strategy ought to be developed by naval officers. 
So, I mean, I, th- I, th- I thought the naval strategy should be developed by naval leaders, not by the joint staff, nor by the office of the Secretary of Defense, which is. And before Goldwater's Nichols, you had a legitimate Gator Navy. I mean, those guys were, right, were professional right. Gator Navy men. And I I was involved with BLT-28 in Beirut as an augmentee, medical augmentee. So I don't know anything, but I remember I, I did not sense a whole lot of confusion about what the who was doing what on that ship. It was a it was a crappy old LPH Guam, but it was well run, and it was those people were damn serious about what they were about, you know, yeah, which was which was projected well. power soar. I would say I I I take uh, you know I I dismiss a little bit her concept of naval. She is a navy officer, and she wants to have a navy strategy, not a naval strategy. A naval strategy encompasses both of the sea services, of which one of them is pretty important in potentially the current idea of deterrence. But that's not what she's talking about, and that's not what the Navy ever talks about. So, yeah, Why wouldn't a naval strategy include all four services? A naval strategy i don't think that's where she wants to go but i would say the current when when well i, I mean you, you drew a line between, wear you, you drew a line tactics. between navy and naval you know but the air force can contribute to naval the army can contribute to naval just as well as the marine corps can so why not just have a joint strategy well it would be a that's na- what you're talking about why not then yeah. Because well, the next no, thing, the next... she criticizes it because you're you're not bringing whatever to it. Then then you're just making. Then why have service chiefs? You know they're the budget warriors. Yeah, he says that's a mistake. Like Max said, Desert One, you know, Eagle Claw, whatever the heck it was, a hostage rescue failure, and then Grenada and so forth, and the you know, all that stuff was the excuse for Goldwater Nichols. But after Goldwater Nichols, he still had. You know, you still had imbecility running rampant. Like when we went into Haiti, they put Army Blackhawks on uh, on uh, aircraft carriers in order to send those guys. It was stupid and unnecessary. You know, you had you had uh, basically Second Marine Regiment, you know, regu- re- regulated to you know kind of support effort in Cap Haitian, and uh, it's just it was just a moronic way to do things, and it was. If if the stated goal was to do away with service parochialism when it came to real world ops, it failed, and it's been well. No, and, and again, you can see the army right uh, yeah. chomping at the bit, chaffing as when you know whenever those operations exist and they're naval in nature, right? And they're in the news. Who do we see in the news? Those fucking marines, right? Coming off naval ships. Right, doing some high visibility thing. Well, you know, why isn't the 82nd Airborne in there? Why isn't you know 10th Mountain there? You know, we have we have you know rapid response forces. Well, I mean, they can be after right some you know some base is seized and the infrastructure is put in, and then bring all those guys in there. But but I agree with you, Jeff. You see these hybrid things because somebody wants to get somebody to the fight. And that, I think that is that is how you fuck it up completely. And you wa- you stand there and watch it, and you're like, "What are we doing?" 
what are we doing? We have people who train and do this shit, and now we're, we're gonna we're gonna create hybrids on the fly and think that it's gonna go okay. And all you're doing is making it really difficult. Timmy. And to, yeah. Well, I was gonna say that this just the uh, the inherent cost of an airborne insert like they did in Grenada is so high just on jump injuries. That's why the the Brits the Brits did away with for for all intents and purposes parachute forces. They're stupid. Why would you why would you send guys in with parachutes when you got amphibs? Oh, I know why, because everybody wants to get a piece of the pie. And that's uh you know the Goldwater Nichols. You, you know something in two thousand and four, you know one of the last things the eighty second Airborne did in two thousand four before they left Al Ambar? Jump. Jumped. They, combat jump. They did a combat jump in the vicinity of Al Assad. How many people they injured? I I, I don't recall because we because we had yeah. I, do you, do you remember that, Will? Will was out there. I, do not, I chased a lot of stupid Marine Corps aerial uh, resupply stuff around the desert because we thought that was a good idea, too. So stupidity is not confined to any particular service. Right, 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 right. Anyway. Um, hey, just Goldwater Nichols for a second, though. Sure. You know, Goldwater Nichols is not all harmful to the Marine Corps. Right. right. It 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 got us out under the thumb of the Navy just a little bit more. Um, so I, I think that there is significant flaw there. And I think a lot of her criticism, because in the end, the services inside the building. The only thing that matters is the budget to the services. And they produce strategy papers and this and that. But that's all crap. It's all about the money, period. And you do have your service chiefs reduced in stature pretty significantly, which is why the officer, the chairman, is so critically important to the services, because that's one way you ensure your voice is there. Um, And the Marine Corps is always going to be second fiddle when it comes to being the chairman or the vice. So... so, so back at back in the nineties, when we were all together at the basic school, I can remember on several occasions, then Major Allen saying that these quadrennial defense reviews always, no matter what happens, it's always an even cut, so that you still with Navy was thirty three, Army with thirty six, Air Force, whatever those 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 things were, and he was saying back then what a crock this is and how this is wrong, it shouldn't be done, and <laughs> those guys came of age, became four stars. They're gone now, and it's still the same. And that's that indicates a durability in that in that very dysfunctional system that is that is seem it seems like it won't be rectified until we take an ass whooping, as I continually want to point out. Yeah, but you know, it's also uh, on the biggest of big pictures, it served pretty well. Really? No, yeah, yeah. You can't you can't argue I mean, with it's, that. It's World War II. Mm. You know. Um, the last time the continental U.S. was touched, and I'm not talking 9-11, you know, what the Japanese submarine fired a shot sometime after Pearl Harbor. You know, we're still here. We're inefficiently blundering around, doing stupid shit seemingly all the time, but eh, the defense establishment has sort of done its job. The the point that... uh, that I believe Alan was making then, and I'm trying to make is we should have a maritime strategy because we're a maritime nation, and we should accept the fact that we don't need to have a large standing army to do what it is we need to do. That's 
always been my argument and self-serving as Marines, I know, but that's all I've always thought that we'll never see that because we'll always see the 33, 35, 37 mix and the rest left over for Marine Corps. Yeah, but the premise of that is post-World War II deterrence. It is deterrence. I understand that. Yeah, that's true. You know? And, and like, you know, a Goldwater Nichols, though, that bothers me is that uh, the last time we were very successful is when those guys didn't really say anything, the Secretary of Defense and the service secretaries, particularly Secretary of Navy. They just the, – the, the people who ran the war – were the guys wearing uniforms like Admiral King and Admiral, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, General Marshall, and uh, and I don't mind the fact that the Marine Corps is not one of the tippity top. There's the Army and there's the Navy, you know. It, it doesn't bother me too much. The Marine Corps, is, we have a niche, you know. We got a niche, and uh, the amphibious thing, the readiness thing, that's our niche. Mm-hmm. Then every disaster we had since then, and they were avoidable disasters. First Secretary Lewis Woods is Secretary for Truman. Disaster result in Korea. We almost lost because of that guy cutting the heck out of the services. And then McNamara, another micromanaging jerk who had no idea about military uh, operations. No relation. No relation. No relation, yes. That's an important point. And then, well, especially when you call him a micromanaging jerk, okay, then uh, yeah. <laughs> I want no to – you know, micromanager, <laughs> jerk, maybe I don't know, but uh, and then uh, you know Rumsfeld, you know? they're just uh, why do, why would you want to give these guys that type of uh, when it's demonstrated failure? The only thing that's because we're, we're fighting uh, you know wars below the the level of uh, uh, national survival, we're like yeah, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't like Pearl Harbor, yeah, but it, just because it wasn't too bad doesn't mean it was too good. It sucks. It sucks having guys like Rumsfeld running the military. Oh, I don't need to see why you guys need all those MP battalions. We don't, we're not going to have crime behind the lines. What a jerk, man. But, you know, I – again, I, now I have Timmy in my echoing in my head, right? So by the time, as Jeff says – so we talk about great power competition. Are we serious about it, right? Or will we only get serious when it's too late? And we have to cede, right, the first island chain to the Chinese and say, hey, you know, it's really the juice ain't worth the squeeze for us anymore. It's going to be too expensive. You know, to Taiwan, we wish you all the best, right? And we do the Pontius Pilate of, of that and we withdraw to Guam, Hawaii, Alaska and, and, and cross our fingers and hope the Chinese don't want them to at some point. Um, so to me... The whole idea of whistling past the graveyard, you know, and not taking naval strategy as a maritime nation and the lead proponent of a rules-based order, I mean, you do do that at the peril of your own existence. But again, this is a a nuanced discussion, right? It's not what, you know, it's not what gets discussed often relative, you know, it, it does by a small group of concerned people and everybody else could give a shit, which is to me distressing. It's and that, but that's why she's encouraging articulate, you know, footnoted her 5% thing aside. I mean, to me, the discussion that she had with representative Gallagher um, and who are the two other guys, the guy from Maine and what's the other guy's name? West. Uh, he's a reserve Naval officer. 
Um, but th- those four, I mean, really drove the the uh, the subcommittee on power projection, which we we listened to a bit. That discussion, I thought it was, and I thought it was a great discussion. But it doesn't seem like the nation's interested. Right. Know? No mention of climate change in any of those people either, or anything and stupid like that. You know. Yeah, it's and it's it's fine if the nation's not interested, but but they need. You know, that's where the the committee in public is just, you know, it's horrible. It's political theater. Right. You know, how much is she driving behind the scenes? How how much does she have, you know, the programs guy from the Navy, the three star, up there in her office? How many times does she talk to the CNO and the secretary? And, and how many of her colleagues on that committee is she bringing together that they've got a uniform pitch so that, you know, the CNO and the secretary don't just like, whew, we got through another one, but they know that these people are going to be grinding them constantly. Um, and that's hard to do. It's hard to do in your representative because you got, you know, 93 other things you got to do, but that's where you'll see if she makes a true mark is does she, does she truly muster bipartisan, uh, political thought up in that committee that forces the Navy or forces any service to to grind away professionally against potentially what the administration says they want, i.e. through the SecDef. Um, and that's hard to do, but that would be a great service. And how would that manifest itself? Again, it would be first she gets bipartisan consensus, then she is, you know, hobo on a ham sandwich with the Navy and their budget guys. And uh, she meets with them. She has her staffers and she's got to hire smart staffers that are engaged on this particular thing. And she does not allow herself to become dilute in the political spectrum. Uh she doesn't do stuff like the January 6th commission and all the other crap yeah. it's known as being the defense person, the naval defense person, and that that if the Navy wants to get something through, they know that if Rep. Luria says no, she's got political clout amongst her peers, and so she bends them to her will, even though it may be against uh, the uniforms in particular, it may be against our civilian masters, particularly in the SecDef's office, but also in the SecNav's office. That's hard to do. But that's how it gets done. Otherwise, it's just one off. She gets five minutes in a committee every once in a while. She asks the CNO a hard question. He knows he's embarrassed. You know he's embarrassed. She knows he's embarrassed. And no one else in the country knows or cares. That's how that's how it gets done now. So, you you know, I wonder, have we taken advantage of the offer from Palau to to build a base there? And I know Diego Garcia is trying to get us to to lease uh, their island for 99 years. I mean, if we're serious, you would think we'd be seizing these opportunities. Well, I I mean, I I, I will say this. I mean, the Secretary of Defense is is in the Pacific right now. Right. He's he's going. I think he's in the Philippines today. And so, to uh-huh. me, those, those are those are important things. Those visits and uh-huh. and and yeah, the people that lead the DoD, right? Is that you've got to go there, 
right? You you got to give those speeches. You got to appear at those things. And then, my opinion, you've got to open up special economic status, in particular for Vietnam and the Philippines. Who gives a shit if it says made in China or made in Vietnam or made in the Philippines? What we want is special avenue of approach for those countries economically to say, hey, look, you know, the the G7 has four times, right, the GDP of China. We want to cut you a special deal because you're going to have a unique role in in how this whole thing tips. Yet we haven't seen that we haven't seen that yet either. And that was my major criticism of the Trump administration in the Western Pacific. Is that okay? I got it. You don't like TPP? Then what's next? And but and if you see the critical role that Vietnam and uh, you know and and the Philippines and Palau play, mm-hmm. right? Then let's let's do it. Because look, when when a nation like Palau with all the Chinese money that's getting thrown at it, when they look and say. Yeah, not so much. I got it. You're coming with bags of cash for everybody. But when a country like that says, yeah, not so much, I mean, what does that tell us? With all our fucked up in us in the Pacific, hey, we still see you as, you know, the good guy. Yeah, but it should also tell us maybe we should go over there and get the Chinese fishing fleet the fuck out of their waters because that's their issue. Okay. They're losing all their fish. I mean, their livelihoods. The Chinese come in right. and they strip the uh, the ocean bottom dry, right. which is a very un, uh, unethical fishing to boot. You know, right. should be so something the UN gets predatory started. fishing. I think it's just called. Side note, I think yeah, exactly. Predatory fishing money right now. Yeah. I don't. Think it, we're going to get a cent, a dollar, until the stuff that's going on in D.C. now with these stimulus things gets ironed out. DOD yeah. is out of money. Right. Right, right, right. Out of money means out of options, you know. I I would say this about Rep. Loria though, because I've watched her on these C-SPAN recordings that are on her website. She's not a showboater. She's not showing off her impeccable knowledge. She's treating these admirals. It seems to me like a cat playing with a toy. I like it, and I like the fact that she is on every other issue diametrically opposed to the way I I see things. Yet still. She's sitting here. She's she is using her power to great effect on something we can all agree is of critical importance, and that's having a strong naval force projection capability. I I like that. I like the fact that she's a liberal, because I have not seen too many from her side of the aisle uh, who are reasonable and responsible people. You know, ever since yeah. they lost James Webb, I mean, who else has there been? Tim, and and so it's very encouraging to see her. Yeah, you're saying she's had great effect. I I say the jury is still out. Oh, that, I, I'm sorry. I agree it, with it, that. She has the potential for great effect. That's, right. there you that's go. a legitimate well, that I, Again, I think what she does is she has the potential to create, you know, a, a, an interesting dialogue, right? An interesting yeah, dialogue. Yeah. And without she, without I, being foot, an AOC-type no, right. attention seeker. Okay, look, I, we don't have time to do this today, but I just want a list. Everybody was assigned, and we'll talk about it next week. The, again, the three battles that you would most like to have witnessed. And then the caveats are this. You can't get killed or wounded, and you're impervious to the elements. Okay? So Tim could go to Chosen. So last week, Tim said Chosen. Two more, Tim. Uh, Tim would like to see Gettysburg, and he would have liked, and I would like to have seen Waterloo. Got it. All right, Will? Will had the most, the oddest answer. He wanted to be, tell everybody where you wanted to be. I wanted to stand next to Henry V when he made the speech, even though I knew he didn't make the speech. 
speech and adjunct work. So, <laughs> so what are you standing next to Shakespeare? Like I, I'm I mean, not... no, no, but I mean, you know, that's a pretty interesting one. Um, you know, I would. Uh, I've got like a million just places that we I need. Think thre- I'd, we need I'd three. Like we need three. Um, I would. Uh, I have three. I have three. You I didn't a, really think about it. You have I a million. Yesterday. Oh yeah, you had so much Can, to do while you were. Forest. There's one. So much to do while you were driving, and you give us a fictitious event. All right, you're, we're not, you're out of this right now. Think really? about it. Give us some thought, Jeff. Three. Hold on. Okay, I think the Battle of the Little Big Horn, right? Right. A very well known disaster. Uh, okay. The next one I think would be the Battle of Shiloh. Um, wow. That's wow. got a lot of good, uh, you know, good. And I, I really admire General Grant, you know. Okay. And um, and then the final one I think would be um, the uh, the uh, the Battle of Mitla Pass. That's uh, in 1973 between the Israelis and the uh, Egyptians. Wow. And um, Egyptians, in order for them to get up there, they did this uh, assault across the Suez Canal with high high powered hoses that that sprayed down the, uh, the big dunes that Israelis had there. Then they yeah, created their forces pretty masterful. Yeah, and eventually they're beaten by the Israelis. And that's the first time we ever really gave Israel, the Israelis top of the line stuff. I mean, the, the main thing they were using before that was tanks. They called super Shermans. They're using Sherman tanks, mostly in 1967 that were souped up, you know? Right. And, uh, right. after that in 1973, Nixon, who was under the gun for Watergate, you know, really, uh, First time we really plussed them up big time. Uh, so mine was- would be um, Iwo Jima. And then I even, I, I say Gettysburg, but I'm very specific. I want to see, I want to, my, my my own little personal drone, I want it to be hovering behind Strong Vincent on day two on the backside of Little Round Top when all of that begins to spool. So yeah. oh, that, and then... Again, it's really important, this caveat. I can't be wounded or killed, okay? I want to be on the USS Johnston, and I want to be, like, just cruising around behind Ernest Evan. <laughs> I I think I think you'd be I, – I mean, to me, that is still – Helping them really steal, steer the ship in the uh, – Yeah, the right, right. We're, yeah, gonna do, we're doing I mean, it by that's hand. That's the thing. My dilemma is that – we know a lot about that sort of stuff. You know, I think Little Bighorn is interesting because we actually don't know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I read a lot of ancient stuff recently. So I think actually being behind Alexander the Great to see what the guy actually did in the battle. Because we sort of know, but I'm not really sure we know. That would be interesting uh, to me. Um, guys, those guys are like company commanders, you know, Hannibal, yeah. Sander, because they had control over everything, you know. I mean, um, and I think what you're talking about, Will, is Alexander decided what his main effort would be, and then he went with them. Yeah, that's, you know, and that would be sort of just to see how that played out. I mean, another another great place would be a, to be at Thermopylae, you know, and hear the immortal words of. And we'll shoot so many arrows it'll blot out the sun. Well, we'll fight in the shade. You know, <laughs> that would be it. Uh, the same guy, other, 
wrote another great one. speech at Agincourt. Another, I mean, another great one is, uh, you know, the Persian says, if we come, we've got this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And the Spartan says, if. Yeah. <laughs> Laconic, by definition. <laughs> and then Rudyard Kipling wrote that poem. <laughs> yeah, but it's all contrived. Will seems to be obsessed with, no, con- are, with contrived those history. Are, think, those are quotes have come down those are not uh that's not shakespeare okay so you'll devote a little bit of intellectual rigor to this task and then we can go ahead maybe and discuss it further all right i don't like the idea that i mine choices get shit on because oh well we know everything about those things we do know everything (laughs) although we don't know what happened thank you thank you thank you thank you you know i was thinking about it and i wanted to withdraw my chosen Maybe put like an ancient one, like the Battle of Salamis, where you could see the whole thing unfold in one day. But the reason was not to dump on your your choice, Mac. I don't think I'd want to go see some place where there's that many Marines being hit and losing their lives. Where I, that would bother the shit yeah. out of me. That's the only reason I wouldn't want to go and see that. Oh, mm. so you would? You so you shit on him anyhow. I mean, you have know. you know. I know. I know. Wait, <laughs> any apologies this hour? I know. Yeah. Yeah, no. It's out, just, it's out of character. Now. Everybody's nice, you know? Yeah, go back to New York. Where That's you, true. Where you, you, know, when we, where when, you can when be when a closer, dick and nobody even notices. When we're in we don't tend to be so nice to each other. That yeah. is true. Yeah, I just got tuned up after a week in New York. So. <laughs> you were in upstate. Who are you kidding? You could have been in Pennsylvania. The uh, All right, very quickly, what are you reading, Tim? Still on Theodore Roosevelt, interesting observation from the book is that the New York City Police Department in 1894 operated identically to the Kabul Police Department to include the rates they were charging for different uh, different officers and what have you. That's an interesting topic. Identical, identical to the Afghan National Police. Got it. Well, yeah. what are you reading? I am uh, reading the third volume of the Atkinson History of World War II. So they just uh, they just broke through the Bacage uh, and they took Paris and they're getting ready to to continue. And it uh, it continues to be phenomenal. And again, you thought you read a lot about World War Two and this guy. um, He strings different things together in a really nice way. And he he get in he gets into some different archives. Yeah. you're absolutely right, man. It's like you find out, like, you know, I remember the um, D-Day, one of the big heroes of D-Day is Norman Cota, who's uh, assistant division commander, I think, for the um, for the uh, 29th Division. And you see his career go on. They almost relieved the guy, even though he's fighting his ass off. You know, it's like uh, by the time, you, you know, Will, when uh, they're doing, they're pushing on to Paris, but they also had um, pushes to the uh, to the west, you know, from Normandy in order to deal with the, the stuff there. And, and that guy, Norman Coda, they're like, uh, you know, they're unforgiving up there at the top, Eisenhower and Bradley and everything. And, uh, you know, if they thought you weren't hanging in there, you got fired pretty quick. Well, they were forgiving, though, because then they would rehire you to do something well, else. Well, no, Marshall would rehire them and send them back over there. The, uh, all right, Jeff, yeah, what are you reading? Well, I'm reading the same book Timmy is. I'm back here in Vegas, so I got it upstairs. What about so it's, the, it's the volume one of the of uh, it's the rise of Theodore Roosevelt is the name of the oh, you're volume re- one. You're rereading that. Oh, that's yeah, because I had them. I got access to the books that I've 
oh, acquired fun. and stolen and everything. So I'm able to, uh, to you know, to do that. Um, I started reading um, since Will taught me how the Daily Stoic. I tell you, it's a it's a very pleasant addition to my life. So, uh, well, thank you very much for your instruction. Yeah, listen, I, and that's something I highly recommend that to everyone. Just buy that book, and it takes you read one page a day, and it makes you think about some things in just a different way. Really useful. It sits right next to my uh, chair where I drink my coffee in the morning. You know, I one of the things I've kind of evolved in in terms of post-traumatic winning is um kind of almost a first aid kit if you know you know if a fire breaks out break break glass and do these things right and i would put the daily stoic in there you know so i would put learn how to meditate and again i wouldn't even call it meditation learn how to clear your brain learn how to calm it down you know nothing highfalutin right maybe 60 seconds maybe 120 seconds do it a couple times a day learn how to do that Learn how to man- manage your anger and anxiety through the way you breathe. Take a breath, think, I want to kill this motherfucker, and then blow that shit out and, and, and kind of get your brain. Physical fitness. And the other thing is journaling in the evening. You know, I mean, the Stoics did that. They contemplated in the morning. You know, Ryan Holiday talks about that in the Daily Stoic, and that is they contemplated in the morning, right? They wrote at night. And so to me, these things po- in your post-traumatic life, are the infrastructure that get you through the day. Physical fitness. The endorphins are half of your brain, half of your body. Right? Writing, reflecting, meditate. I mean, all that. Think about it. What does that replace? You want to know what it replaces? Suck it the fuck up. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, it, it would be humorous were it not so sad because suck it the fuck up and, and failed medication, failed therapy is why people kill themselves. So to me, this is it's kind of a first aid kit. All right, let me tell you what you you need. If you don't do any of this, you need to do this and watch how your life changes. And 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 I am now you know very short term. I love reading the Daily Stoic. Absolutely love it. It's it's very well done. And again, this is a guy who uses the word unfuck in a book. I mean, come on, how do you not love that? So, yeah, I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna get that definitely. That'll do it on a Thursday for another edition of the Mensa Brothers here on All Marine Radio. I'm Mike McNamara. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Chef Zazulowitz will join us, writer for Navy Times, to talk to you about the Navy. Ask him about his thoughts about Representative Luria and uh, her contributions to the budget and naval maritime strategy or strategic thought. So uh, Jeff, always an interesting guy. Um, yeah, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. Thanks for listening on this Thursday. I'm out. <laughs>